Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science in the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceinthecity.org. Today is Friday, May 30th, 2008. I'm Alana Rangi. Scotland. Rolling misty hills, kilts, and, well, scotch. Simon Brooking is truly an expert of this golden spirit. The master ambassador for Laphroaig and Ardmore whiskies, he knows the science and the art behind making his country's national drink. Brooking spoke at Science in the City's Science of Scotch event this month. In this week's podcast, you'll hear from Brookings what it takes to make a nice smoky scotch and get a taste for Scotland and its islands as well. When you're done listening, check out a multimedia slideshow of the Science of Scotch event to learn some tasting tricks. Go online to the podcast page of scienceandthecity.org. Ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of Laphroaig and Ardmore Single Malt Scotch Whiskies, let me bid you all Kid Millie Felcher, and that's Gaelic for 100,000 welcomes. My name is Simon Brooking. I am the Master Ambassador for Laphroaig and Ardmore Single Malt Scotches. Our mission to spread world peace through whiskey, one drop at a time. And we are here tonight for a wee taste of the Highlands and the Islands of Scotland and to talk about the science of scotch as well as the science of drinking scotch. Originally it was the Irish monks during the time of the alchemists that discovered the science of distillation. Barley itself would naturally ferment in the field. So they found that when they boiled it, that it would produce this liquid which would create this ethereal effect that brought them closer to their gods. And so that's why spirits in its original context has religious origins. Take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland before ye. For me and my true love will never meet again on the bonny, bonny banks of Loch Lomond. So we want to take you over to Scotland and give you a taste in many different ways of the Ushkebeha, what we call the water of life. So we can take you there by song. The science of distillation is actually pretty easy. It's pretty simple. It was the farmers who, by using copper pot stills, they were able to distill a fermented barley, and it created this high alcohol yield, which, quite honestly, during the 14th and 15th centuries, up through the 18th and 19th centuries. Scotland is is a, a very hard place to live. You know, it's a very hard scrabble life. And so to have an alcohol which was at that time a cure-all, it was good for what ails you, it was a tonic. They weren't exactly sure what exactly it was doing, but the folks back then knew that it made them feel better from colds, from any kind of ailments. And when poured on a wound, it would actually help clean out the wound. It was a good antiseptic because of the alcohol. The soul of spirit is the barley. Farmers would have extra grain at the end of the season. It was more profitable, more economical for them to make a whiskey out of this rather than to store it and lose it to the mold and the mildew for the cold, damp winter months. It also gave them another commodity to sell at the market and it gave them that nice whiskey to keep them warm during that time. But you can't get it out of its current form. You need to coax it out of it. The way we're going to do that is by adding water. The process of making whiskey is by adding water and removing water, and adding water and removing water. It is much easier to add the water than it is to remove the water, so keep that in mind. That barley, what you need to do is you need to soak it. Three basic ingredients for distilling scotch, barley, water, yeast. What you need to do is soak the barley from the, the enzymes you get from the barley. You're able to extract starches, which you then convert to sugar, then convert to alcohol in distillation. Very simple. There's nothing else added to it. Water's the big part. You soak the barley. That starts the germination process. The barley starts to grow, 
And by the end of the week, you've got the consistency of sprouts. Now, if we let it grow any longer, it'll start growing to a plant, and that won't do us any good for making the whiskey. So we need to stop the barley from growing. So we need a fuel source, a heat to dry that barley. That fuel source is peat. So what we do is we have malt kilns, and they're like a smokehouse. And from down below, you light peat fires, and the peat from the different regions of Scotland will give you different flavors because of the flora of the region. The peat from the island of Isla has got a lot of seaweed in it. Peat is an organic material that's been compressed over hundreds of thousands of years, so it's high carbon. And then what we'll do is dig that up in the spring. We'll use bricks of it, uh, let it dry and cure. And by the fall, it's dried and cured enough to be able to use to heat your homes, to cook with, and to dry the barley. I'm going to have Mr. John Campbell, distillery manager at Lafroy, to show you a little bit about cutting the peat. The essence of that smoke is the peat. And that's what we're talking about with the highlands as well as the islands. So the peat in Isla differs very much from the peat in mainland Scotland. Because as you see, there's no trees in Isla. So the peat here is based in the seaweed, the decayed vegetation, and the lichens in the ground. Unlike mainland Scotland, where it's based in old wooded forests. So this gives us a very different smoke-flavoured profile in our malted barley. So you see the desolate island of Isla there, where we make the whiskey. You can see why we drink as much whiskey as we do. But here's a cut of peat, just to show you. What we're going to do is we're going to dig down nine inches and put that aside because you can see we've got root vegetation that's still growing, green vegetation. We're going to put that aside because we're going to put that back on top of where we dig out. And then we're going to dig down another 18 inches and throw that up onto the bank. You work in teams, uh, one guy digging, the other guy stacking. You notice the further down you get, it starts to get darker. If we were to let this sit around for another 500,000 years, it would become coal. It's that top layer. Peat is the organic material. It's all the grass and plants and moss that live and die and decompose and become compressed over hundreds of thousands of years. We have the distinction of having the longest railway on the island of Isla. We also have the distinction of having the shortest railway on Isla because we have the only rail line on the island of Isla. And it only is to get the peat from the warehouse across to our mall kilns. From down below, we're lighting these peat fires. And it's coming up through the floor. So for 15 hours, we're going to dry that barley eventually getting it down to a 2% moisture content. And as the smoke from the fire is drying the barley, it takes on some of that flavor. So the peat from the islands of Scotland give it more of a salty sea tang to the barley as it's drying. The peat from the highlands, the floor of the region is more heather, and so you get more of the honey notes to the barley as it dries over those peat fires. It's a lighter, sweeter style uh, peat smoke. We then will ensilate the barley for three weeks and let it go dormant. And then we will grind so it we down. We grind the barley down. We now add hot water to it. It's this liquid sugary substance. It creates what we call wort. Basically, it's the same thing as a brewing at this point, as beer. But this is where the next step is fermentation. But these are the mash tuns. You'll see it coming up here. This is known as a louder ton. It's going to turn, it's basically like, like an opium. We add the liquid, 12 and a half tons of the water, and then we draw off the liquid. Spent grain at the end of the process is sold off as a high-protein cattle feed to local farmers. I should mention that we are 
very ecologically minded when it comes to distilling at the distilleries themselves. The spent grain at the end of the process of the mashing is sold off as a high-protein cattle feed to local farmers. And actually, the, what we call spent lees, which is what's left of the distillation that we can't use, is piped out into the bay, and there's a lot of protein in that. It's great for the fish. We're actually using the excess heat that we have from the distillation is used to help air dry the barley after it's been dried over the peat fires. At one of the distilleries on the island of Isla, where Lafroig is made, they're actually using their excess heat from their distillery to heat the local swimming pool. The wort goes into the next step of the process, which is fermentation. Yeast is added, fermentation begins. Now, we get up to around 5 to 8% alcohol uh, at this point. And this is where the difference between beer and whiskey begins on our next two steps. The next one is distillation. And in distillation, we boil the alcohol. The vapors are trapped by the condenser. We distill twice in Scotland. One of the differences between the Scots and the Irish is the Irish triple distill. We feel like we get it right after the second time. Um, in distillation, we send it off to two stills. You have what's known as the wash still, and then you have your spirit still. So it's a two-step distillation process. In the wash still, we're going to boil the alcohol. The vapors are trapped by the condenser. We distill twice in Scotland. As you distill more, you're stripping away flavors. One of the reasons we distill twice is because we want to retain some of those flavors. The first step, the wash still, if I were to compare it between boiling milk and water, those are really the two steps of the distillation process. And in fact, in the first step of the distillation, the stills that we have have what we call sight glasses about 12 feet up the still in the copper, set into the copper. Because when you first heat this new spirit, it's going to boil and froth a lot like milk. So we'll heat from down below. It is steam heat. We're going to heat it very quickly at first, and it'll boil up, and you'll get the froth at that sight glass, and then the stillman knows now it's time to turn it down. This will distill it up to 25% alcohol by volume. At this point, there's still some nasty byproducts, some acetones and acetates, which if you're not very careful back in the day, if you made a bad batch of whiskey, you ran the risk of going blind from drinking it. It's where the term blind drunk comes from. We need to distill it a second time, so we go from the 25% alcohol in the wash stills and we send it on to our spirit still. And our spirit still, you get three parts of the distillation run. The first part of the run, you have what's known as the head, the heart, and the tails. And the first part is known as the head, also known as the four shots. Far too strong, higher than a 70% alcohol by volume. And that's too much for us for aging the barrel. It's just, it's too hot. It doesn't age very well. So that gets sent back to be redistilled. Then, as the spirit is running, when it gets down to about 70% alcohol, the liquid will literally turn from cloudy to clear. And we're moving into what we call the heart of the run. We'll continue running that distillation till we get down to around 63% alcohol. Now, this is being diverted through the spirit safe, which will go into the spirit receiver to be aging. This is the perfect center cut. It's running through the spirit safe where the distillman is watching with hydrometers as well as through smell and through sound. You know, it's not only done just by sight. In fact, a lot of the stillmen really rely on all the senses when it comes to the distillation. You can tell when you get to that sweetness of the heart of the run that that is the perfect percentage for aging. And then you'll get a little fainty. There'll be yeast notes in it and that's 
the feints, which is the tails of the run, and that's no good for aging as well. So that gets sent on to be redistilled, and then we'll draw everything out of that. As it's distilling, it's reacting with the copper. Copper is a beautiful reactive element. It draws a lot of these unwanted impurities off, but it also adds some flavor to it as well. We have scientists who analyze what exactly is happening between this new spirit and the copper. We're not exactly quite sure. One of the biggest contributing factors to the style of and flavor in a spirit whiskies are the size and shape of the stills. The smaller squat stills will give you a heavier, oilier body to the spirit, whereas the taller stills will give you a lighter, sweeter style spirit. Also, the angle of the line neck will also impact the spirit as well. You're looking for this constant dialogue with the copper. The more that it reacts with it, the more it's drawing off, but also adding flavor. We've just finished the distillation. Uh, that's 63 to 70% alcohol, the, the heart of the run, technically the British plain spirit. It's a pretty hot young raw spirit, so we need to soften it and round it out. And so what we'll do is we'll put it into a barrel, minimum of three years. Historically, prior to Prohibition, most of the barrels that were used were Spanish Oloroso sherry casks because there was a lot of sherry that was coming into the market. But, you know, 19th century, 18th century, the barrel was just merely a conveyance really to get the spirit from the stills and the hills to market. People were drinking it right away. It was a, a very, you know, subsistence, hard scrabble life. People didn't want to sit around waiting for this whiskey to age. They needed it right away. It would be brought to market, sold, and consumed right away. But what they found in the 20th century, aging is more of a 20th century phenomenon, is that when they put these whiskies in the barrel, it softened it, it rounded out, it, it mellowed it. It gave it all these other layers. The sherry casks, what you get from Spanish sherry casks, you get more the influence of the grape. There's a dry sweetness. The barrels would come over empty, but you could extract three to five liters of what was original in the barrel from the wood. Some of the whiskey men would make the barrel sweat so they could get either sherry out or bourbon out of it. A little extra on the side there. But that's what's also going to react with the new spirit as it goes into the barrel. We put the barrels in, we leave them there, we put them in what we call dunnage warehouses, which are earthen warehouses, we'll rack them three high. We don't uh, rack too high in Scotland because you get too much of a temperature change between the bottom and the top. I know in America they can rack them 10, 12 high, but the spirits between the bottom and the top are going to be so different. We don't want that. We want to maintain. The climate in Scotland, average temperature 52 degrees, perfect for aging whiskey over a longer period of time. Compared to America, where you've got hotter summers and colder winters, the barrels will expand and contract at a much faster rate. So three years minimum, but let's say we'll use a barrel and age whiskey for 15 years, Laphroaig 15 years, for example. After those 15 years, we'll empty the barrels, and then we do what's known as dechar rechar during the charring process, the natural sugars are caramelized. So that's where you get all the caramel flavor from the spirit. The spirit goes into the barrel clear. The color comes from the aging of the barrels. So you'll notice the whiskies that have been aged in the Spanish Oloroso sherry casks tend to be a little bit darker. The bourbon barrels, we'll put them in. You vanilla caramel notes from the bourbon. Spanish Oloroso sherry casks get more of a dry sweetness, the influence of the grape. Uh, from the sherry itself. Most whiskies, unless it says no caramel coloring, no chill filtration, most whiskies, caramel coloring has been added to give it consistency of color. There's no effect on the flavor whatsoever on that. It's about sipping and savoring and enjoying them. 
because there's all that flavor in there. And nosing the whiskey is as much a part of the experience as tasting the whiskey for me. You take a little bit more time. You know, it takes 15 years to make that whiskey. I ask that you take more than 15 seconds to enjoy it. for listening. We'd love to hear what you thought about this podcast and other Science in the City podcasts. Email your comments to scienceandthecity at nyas.org. Leave a voicemail at 212-298-8654 or send your feedback snail mail to Science in the City podcasts, care of the New York Academy of Sciences, 7 World Trade Center, 250 Greenwich Street on the 40th floor, New York, New York, 10007. To find out more about the intersection of science and culture in New York City, visit our website at scienceinthecity.org. See you next week.